It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know what's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it is Thursday. Normally, we would be dropping this on a Wednesday. However, because of the fact that the Jets and the Ravens are playing later today, this is going to be midweek with Manish slash the pregame report for the Jets and the Ravens. And for that, of course, we welcome in the great beat reporter from the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta. Manish, nine years, $324 million for Garrett Cole. They say, have your kids learn how to play baseball, but I think that that's wrong. They should say, have your kids learn how to negotiate contracts and become a sports agent, because between that and Steven Strasburg, $569 million in contracts over a couple of days span, and he's still got Anthony Rendon, who, by the way, could end up with your Philadelphia Phillies. So as good of a day as it was for Garrett Cole and as great of a day as it was a few days ago for Steven Strasburg, I think that Scott Boris guy is doing all right. Yeah, Scott uh, is obviously, uh, at least in my mind, obviously one of the best agents. I have a good Scott Boer story we could probably get into another time, but I spent a week with Scott in Newport Beach about 20 years ago for a story that I was working on, and uh, it was actually in the run-up to Alex Rodriguez's free agency, and I got the rough draft of Scott Boer's book that he ultimately gave to teams during the free agency process. You know, at that point... I don't know if you remember, Scott, but there was a you know discussion about whether A-Rod would go to the Mets, and uh, it was just a fascinating week. Uh, you know, I spent uh, a few days going to baseball games, two baseball games actually in one day uh, with Scott and a couple of his guys, and uh, it's just fascinating to see you know someone who I think is extremely smart. I know he's you know he's a polarizing figure to some degree, but so successful at his business and. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with him, and I'm, that's one of the best experiences, frankly, that I've had as a reporter, just getting an inside look at uh, someone you know, who's preparing for such a, you know, a big negotiation. He's obviously taken off uh, and become, uh, for my money, the best uh, sports agent in the world. I definitely want to hear that story down the line because I'm always fascinated by guys like that. They are the real power brokers in sports, and a lot of people don't realize it. Just like the power broker that was behind Le'Veon Bell's contract, which now it looks like the Jets may be looking to get out from under in the offseason. There was news about Bell above and beyond his play on the field, above and beyond that contract, though, this week. Touched on it with the very big deal Chris Nimbley on yesterday's podcast 
and he talked about how anybody can question his NFL sources or his Jets sources, but when it comes to sources in North Jersey, he's always going to have that nailed. And so he mentioned the whole story about how somebody was out at a bowling alley, just happened to snap a picture of Bell, was friends with the reporter, sent the picture, and this whole thing erupted. The guy in question didn't even mean to cause problems. He just thought it was funny that he saw Le'Veon Bell at a bowling alley. But now everybody's talking about it. Manish, that includes Bell himself and Adam Gase. What's going on with this as far as Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell? It sounds like Le'Veon Bell doesn't think he did anything wrong, and I'm with him on that. I don't think he did anything wrong at all. He said he bowled a 251, which cracks me up because that's a really good <laughs> score. And Gase can't seem to decide whether he's mad or not. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, he was ruled out. Uh, Le'Veon said that the, the doctor said, you know, don't don't stick around at home. Uh, you know, try to move around, get outside. Uh, the reason that he did not play, according to Gase and according to to Le'Veon, was that uh, if there was any kind of residual contagiousness, if that's the phrase, uh, the team didn't want to take a risk and and have him around uh, uh, the rest of the guys. I think there was also a question of, of Le'Veon's energy uh, at that level. Uh, after dropping, I believe, eight to nine pounds, something like that. He said he's lost a bunch of weight while he had the flu. So the Jets, uh, you know, did not want to take that chance. You know, have a, a guy who doesn't have the juice, uh, no pun intended because that's his nickname, but didn't have the juice that he typically does and may or may not still be contagious. So they said on Saturday afternoon, late afternoon, that uh, he was going to be ruled out, not play. And, and so on Saturday night, he, you know, he, he did have his family in town for the game. Uh, he was feeling better. They said, why don't we go bowling? So they spent a couple hours at a bowling alley. Um, I think he, he left at uh, 1 o'clock or so. They had a driver, not a big deal. Uh, and uh, and then he showed up uh, you know, in his family's suite at MetLife Stadium the, the following day to support his team because, again, they didn't want him around the, the players, so he wouldn't be on the sideline. I didn't think it was a big deal. It, you know, it, it, it makes for a, a fun, interesting conversation. We've, we've been talking about it for the last you know, 24, 36 hours. But in terms of something egregious or salacious, this clearly does not fall into that category at all. I don't have a problem with that. I thought that Le'Veon earlier in the week really handled it uh, as well as you can handle it, which is uh, to, to point out that he didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, he didn't think it was really surprising. The only surprising thing, as you noted, Scott, was that he bowled a career high 251 coming off the flu, which, <laughs> look, these guys are athletes, you know, so I guess that shouldn't surprise you, but uh, I thought he handled it really well. The bigger question for me, and I think for Jet fans, uh, probably should be, what, what is the relationship between the head coach and the, the player, and what is uh, the relationship between the organization and the player beyond 2019? Because he did sign that four-year deal uh, $52.5 million. For all intents and purposes, it was a two-year, $27, $28 million deal. Uh, the Jets did try to trade him. They were hoping to trade him before the deadline. His contract uh, made it very difficult for a team to absorb the, the current parameters of the deal. Uh, he was not interested in restructuring the deal. I totally understand that because you know he held out for an entire year because he didn't think the Steelers were going to pay him what he was valued at. So why would he give back money? I completely understand that business element to it, but spinning it forward now to the off season, what's going to happen? Uh, the Jets would like to move on from him, to move on from his contract. Adam Gase never wanted him. You know, I, I know that there are people that have tried to spin it 
50 different ways about how it was only about money and it's not about the player. None of that is true. The bottom line is that Adam Gase has a system that he believes in. Uh, it's a system that had success when Peyton Manning was the quarterback, uh, one of the top five quarterbacks in NFL history, a system that has been marginal uh, without Peyton Manning at quarterback. But regardless, Adam Gates believes that it's a winning formula, that that system he has is a winning formula, and everybody has to conform to the system. Everyone, including one of the best dual-threat players in the NFL over the last decade. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think that good, open-minded coaches are flexible, and they bend their system to whatever talent they have on the roster, especially when you have a difference-making, dynamic player like Le'Veon Bell. Uh, you don't make that type of player conform and fit into your system. Adam Gase clearly has tried to make Bell fit into his system instead of accentuating his talents. That's you know that's apparent if you followed the Jets over the course of the last three months and have watched every game and every snap. You know that he is not featuring Le'Veon Bell now. When he was absolutely desperate and Sam Darnold was out for a couple games and they had a third-string quarterback in there, he tried to pound it to Le'Veon Bell. And it became very predictable. But when Sam Darnold's in there, this isn't a, an offense that goes through Le'Veon Bell. It, that's, it's apparent. It's a spread-the-wealth type of offense. And I think that's the fault of Adam Gase. And, and what I thought was very telling this week was that Le'Veon Bell was asked about uh, the discussion that he had, if you remember, Scott, earlier in the year after the Jacksonville loss. He went in and – well, I don't know if he went in and talked to him, uh, Gase in person, but he reached out, whether it was text or phone call – uh, and said, hey, look, you know, I'm not sure I'm being used the right way. Can, can I be used in a more productive, meaningful way? And Gase said that he would be used in a more product, productive and meaningful way, and that clearly didn't happen. And that frustration, you know, bubbled to the surface to some degree after the Bengals game. And so this week, uh, Le'Veon was asked, I mean, we, have you talked to Gase about your, your usage, your deployment? Uh, after the Jacksonville game, and he said, no, I, there's no reason to harp on it. He kind of knows where I stand. And I give Le'Veon a lot of credit. I would not be nearly as patient uh, as as he has been if I were in his position, if I had his resume. Uh, I would ask for answers. When things don't change, when you ask for change and things don't change, uh, I would ask for change again. That's just my nature. It's my personality. Uh, whereas Le'Veon has said, look, I, I made it clear how I felt, and uh, hopefully things will change when – you know, players and and get more accustomed to each other. I don't buy that anymore. You know, we're talking, we're in, almost in mid-December right now. This idea of, well, everyone's kind of getting used to each other. It's not September. If this was September, I would buy it. It's the end of the season, the final three games of the season. And if Le'Veon Bell hasn't been used, uh, you know, and featured to this point, I can't imagine that's going to happen over the final three games or uh, in 2020. So I think the Jets uh, want to move on based on the information I have in the offseason. They'd have to absorb some of his salary to make it palatable for another team. Uh, we'll see if if that's even possible because he does have a hefty price tag, what, $8 million and change, I guess, in, in base salary. Uh, he's going to make $13.5 That's still a ton of money for a soon-to-be 28-year-old running back coming off his worst career, worst season in his career. I don't know if it's possible to move him, but I know that the Jets are going to try. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. It was weird that the Jets ran the ball so much in the early going against the Miami Dolphins. Are you of the belief that that was done as a message to Bell, or do you think that he's going to start trying to do that with Bell going forward? I know that you said that Gase's system calls more for a spread-the-wealth type of offense, which I think is kind of a funny way of putting it, but it makes sense. You don't think that there's a possibility that he's going to try to run more early with Bell the same way that he did with Powell and Montgomery against the Dolphins? I would hope he would. Uh, and to answer the first part of the question, Scott, I don't know if he was trying to send a message. I tend to think that coaches don't do that. They're trying to win football games. But if you look at the defenses that the Jets played the past two weeks, the Dolphins, uh, a few days ago, and then Cincinnati, uh, you know, a week and a half ago, those were two exceedingly weak rush defenses. So the game plan should have been very similar in Cincinnati, which was to run the ball and run it a lot. Bilal Powell got the ball 19 times against uh, the Dolphins. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Le'Veon Bell got the ball 10 times against Cincinnati, and only five in the first half when he was running the ball well. So it's a very difficult thing to... Uh, absorb and and try to analyze. I thought, and we talked about this a week ago, I thought it was silly not to pound the ball on the ground against Cincinnati. I think every Jet fan and any objective person watching that game thought it was a strange game plan. So, you know, if you're you're looking at it one way, you could say, well, maybe Gase realized the error of his ways and decided, well, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice, so I'm going to run the ball. And if Le'Veon Bell were healthy, that he would do the same thing uh, with Bell against Miami, because Powell and Montgomery had 28 total carries in that game. You would think that if, if you had a healthy Bell in there, he would have gotten 20 carries, you know, 20, 21, 22 carries, something like that. I don't know. Uh, I don't think, I've said this before, for as critical as I've been of Gase, I don't think that Gase is doing anything out of spite. Uh, yes, he, you know, he didn't want Le'Veon Bell, but I don't think he's, 
uh, screwing Le'Veon Bell because he didn't want him. I just think that it doesn't fit what he wants to do on offense. And that's what he tried to tell people in the building in free agency. Uh, he was very passive-aggressive about it. Uh, he, I don't think he directly, in fact, I'm almost 100% sure, that he did not directly say, I absolutely don't want this player. But he tried different means. He tried to you know, use back channels to sway Christopher Johnson uh, and the higher-ups uh, to not sign Le'Veon Belt or to perhaps to convince them in his odd, passive-aggressive way that this was not a player that he wanted because he's very rarely is he direct. Uh, maybe it was because he was new. Uh, I don't think that's the case because I have examples uh, from his previous stops that it's just kind of how he handles his business. He's very uh, passive-aggressive, very convoluted uh, you know, in trying to get his point across. And I, I have a really good example of that in Miami that I, uh, that I mentioned a week ago. In free agency in Miami, his last season in Miami, the Dolphins needed a slot wide receiver because Gase, you know, and Jarvis Landry had their differences. And Jarvis Landry was a Pro Bowl player, didn't get along with Gase, you know, surprise, surprise. So they moved him on to Cleveland, traded him to Cleveland, and then there was an opening. There was a void there to take that slot wide receiver position. And the Dolphins were eyeing two players, Albert Wilson and Danny Amendola to take over that Jarvis Landry role, to, to be that slot guy in in the offense. And in Gase's offense, uh, slot matters. Uh, Landry had good years with Gase, uh, and and uh, Wes Welker had really good years in Denver with Adam Gase. So that slot position matters in this offense. They needed that position. They were looking at Albert Wilson and Danny, Danny Amendola, and Gase said, I'm fine with either player. You know, you take whatever the better deal is, I'm fine. I think both these guys can work in my offense. So what did they do? They agreed to terms with Albert Wilson. And what is Adam Gase's response? Not, oh, great. You know, I can work with this guy. This is, this is perfect. We've got one of the two guys we were targeting. Uh, no, that wasn't his response. My, my understanding is that he was very upset that they signed Albert Wilson after he said to the higher-ups that he was okay signing Albert Wilson. And there's no rhyme or reason as to why he changed his mind. But he, he was adamant at that point, we've got to get Danny Amendola. If he had just been more direct earlier in the in the free agency process, they would have just gotten Danny, Danny Amendola. But instead, they got the, what they thought was you know a good deal for Albert Wilson. Uh, the head coach, for whatever reason, changes his mind, and so at that point, the Dolphins are in a bind. And then you know shortly after agreeing to terms with Albert Wilson on the same day, I believe they agreed to terms with Danny Amendola. So within the span of one day, in hours probably. They agreed to terms with two slot wide receivers in free agency, which I had never heard of in, in, in my career. That's an odd thing to do, to get two slot receivers uh, in free agency uh, within a couple hours. And that was only to uh, act, uh, pacify Gase, because he was, he was angry that they signed Albert Wilson after he initially said he'd be fine getting Albert Wilson. So that's the type of person that you're dealing with. It's a very difficult person to work with. I, you know, I think that Joe Douglas is going to, frankly, have his challenges working with Adam Gase this offseason because, you know, if you have a clear purpose and a clear mind and clear ideas of who you want to target in free agency and the draft and who you want to stay away from, you might have a difficult time working with Adam Gase because Gase is all over the map. He's he's a scatterbrain in so many different ways. So just to circle back to the the original question about Le'Veon Bell, I don't know if he's going to feature Le'Veon Bell. It's a much difficult task, much more difficult task against this Ravens front than it was the past two weeks against the Dolphins and the Bengals. 
Uh, I don't know if he's going to pound the ball with Le'Veon Bell and have him touch the ball 20, 25 times. It's hard to say. He's just a very difficult guy to grasp in terms of how he actually feels. And just how he handled the Bell bowling situation is, is, is proof positive of that. And on one hand, he said he didn't think it was a big deal. You know, he was focusing on the Ravens. On the other hand, he admitted it was a bad optic and he was going to have to sit down and talk to Le'Veon Bell. Uh, so which is it? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Uh, he's not going to get fined or disciplined because he didn't, you know, he didn't do anything against Team Wolves. So what is there a need to talk to him about? What are you talking to him about? Well, I, I, don't, I don't quite understand that. And then on top of all of that, he comes out and says he wishes that he wishes that uh, Le'Veon stayed at home instead of went out. So uh, the explanation is just so convoluted. Uh, there's so many different ways that he went, and it's all you know, it's all designed to absolve himself of any kind of blame. He doesn't want to take blame for anything, so he'll say everything. And that's kind of Adam Gates in a microcosm. That's who he is. He will say every possible thing so you can't pinpoint him or pin him down on one particular thing. So if things go wrong, he can always say, well, it's not my fault. Sounds like Le'Veon Bell's going to get the lion's share of the carries this week. If for no other reason, then Adam Gase may not have any choice because it sounds like Bilal Powell is not only banged up, but suffering from the same flu that Le'Veon Bell had. Yeah, I don't think that uh, Bilal Powell is going to play. I think the ankle injury is actually not minor either. So you know, flu notwithstanding, I don't know if, if Bilal would have played uh, even if he were not sick. Uh, the, the idea that he's got the flu coupled with uh, you know a, a moderate severe ankle injury well, you know, makes it very unlikely that he'll play. So it'll be Le'Veon Bell, maybe sprinkle in Ty Montgomery. Who knows? You know, <laughs> we talked about Ty Montgomery being a big part of this offense back in the spring and the summer because we all saw it in practices, and then he disappeared for a long time, and uh, he's getting some crumbs now. So I would anticipate uh, it would be a heavy dose of Le'Veon Bell. And Jamal Adams is a game time decision. Yeah, the Jamal Adams is an interesting one because. Uh, He's not walking with a limp. You saw him in the locker room the other day. He's walking fine. Obviously, a lot different walking than it is trying to tackle NFL players. That are, you know, trying to get hold of Mark Ingram when he's coming down downhill, or keep up with uh, Lamar Jackson in space. Uh, I'm still of the belief, just given the nature of the injury, uh, I'm of the belief that he shouldn't play. Uh, he's a competitive person. Uh, I'm sure he wholeheartedly disagrees with that. I don't see. It really that much upside having a you know a 60 65 70 percent uh jamal adams out there with the possibility of having any uh, setback uh you know the last thing you want is for something really serious to happen in a meaningless game and yes adam gase and jamal adams greg williams all those guys will say well it's not meaningless to us and i i totally understand it you know i i completely understand that it's not a meaningless game to players and coaches but from a big picture perspective you know, if you're Joe Douglas, and Joe Douglas's job is to look at the big picture, uh, this is a 5-8 and eight team. This is a team that's not going to the playoffs. Uh, and you're dealing with your best defensive player, one of your, you know, one of your most dynamic players. Why take the chance that things could go wrong and he could get hurt even worse? I, I don't uh, – I would not do it. Uh, you know, I'm sure that would, make, that, that, that would make Jamal Adams extremely pissed off at Joe Douglas uh, and or Adam Gase, but – I wouldn't do it. I would sit him out and, and then kind of reevaluate next week. I wouldn't play Jamal Adams unless he's 100% healthy, which is the same thing I would say for Quinnen Williams. He came out of the game on Sunday against the Dolphins 
with a burner they're calling it I've known it as a stinger but now they're calling it a burner in his neck he was having a tremendous game up until that point it sounds like he's not going to play against the Ravens either yeah, I wouldn't think that they would throw a guy out who has got a, you know a burner or a stinger, you know whatever you want to call it, four days, five days after, yeah, four days, five days after it happened. Uh, I, I also think you got to keep the big picture in mind for him as well. And I agree with you. I thought he played, I thought he played really well. It's unfortunate that I thought the best play he made was that penetration on uh, on the handoff, and he which, which he unfortunately got flagged for a face mask. But yeah, I, I thought he played really well, and I also think uh, similar to Jamal Adams, uh, no need to. To needlessly risk, uh, you know, any kind of further injury. If you remember earlier in the year, uh, Neville Hewitt actually had a, a similar injury, a neck stinger. Uh, he came out of the game, and I think he was going to stay out of the game. But then his replacement got injured, and they brought him back in. I don't think that was a smart move at all. So I, I think when you're dealing with your neck, uh, you know, neck, even though it's not a concussion, but you know, that same area of your body, uh, I think you, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry. What else are we looking at in terms of injuries? Ryan Griffin's dealing with the, that ankle injury. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to play. You know, he obviously was hurt enough where he, he didn't come back, even though he was hurt early in the game against Miami. So it's not mild. He just signed the guy to a big contract. You know, all these, all these injuries, Scott, kind of fall into the same category, which is it's better to be on the cautious side right now because you're not playing for anything. So, uh, you know, why, why risk it? Uh, we'll find out. I, I, you know, My gut tells me that Griffin's not going to play, but nobody has told me that definitively. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about the other side of this, the Baltimore Ravens. You have a piece up at the New York Daily News, and the title is Lamar Jackson is about to embarrass the Jets. In some ways, that's self-explanatory, but in other ways, it probably deserves a little bit of explanation. So why don't you go ahead and talk about what you wrote about in terms of the Jets and Lamar Jackson. Well, I'm so impressed, and I'm not alone. Uh, I'm sure you are as well, but I am mm-hmm. so impressed by how much Lamar Jackson has improved as a pocket passer. I did not think he looked good at all as a pocket passer, as a rookie. Now, dynamic with his feet, absolutely. Uh, there was a reason they were winning games in the second half of the season when he came in. It was predominantly because of his feet. Now, look, he's rushed for a 1,000 yards this year, so it's not like he's completely morphed into a pocket passer. But the improvement in terms of making tight window throws, now there are plenty of times when guys are running free, they're streaking free, and that's because you're getting sucked into the line because you have to respect Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and Lamar Jackson running the ball. Uh, you know, they're not averaging 201 yards on the ground a game by accident. They are a lethal force on the ground. That being said, guys aren't wide open on every play that he drops back on. He is making some tight window throws. He's making some passes, frankly, that I didn't think he was capable of making this early in his career. I didn't know if he was ever going to be able to make those types of passes, but certainly not uh, in his second season. So that, to me, has been so impressive. His yards per attempt 
has jumped from 7.1 to 7.7. He's got six games uh, of completing 70 or more percent of his passes. His completion percentage has jumped by eight points. You just don't, you don't see that from 58 to 66 percent. That is a massive jump uh, in such a short amount of time. And a lot of that, of course, is predicated off, off the run. They, you know, they are so successful on the run that it puts these receivers and tight ends in favorable one-on-one matchups. But ultimately, your quarterback still got to deliver the ball. And, and as I said before, guys aren't open by three, five yards every play. The defenders are on these receivers and tight ends. And he's making, he's making these throws that, again, have been it's, – it's so impressive to me because – and when I saw Lamar Jackson come out of college, I'll be the first to admit it, I did not think that he was going to be uh, anywhere close to the player that he has become at this level. Now, what is interesting to me is that Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator, uh, you know, as you know, Scott, you know, he dealt with uh, and building an offense around Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I don't think Colin Kaepernick ever took that next step as a passer. And I think that the possibilities for Lamar Jackson are so tantalizing. Look, you know, he's going to be the MVP. The, the numbers are undeniable individually. The numbers as a team are undeniable. You know, they're going to be the one or two seed in the AFC. They've, so they, they've had a lot of team success. Statistically, it's laughable how incredible his numbers are as a runner and a passer. Uh, I don't I don't remember, frankly, a, a player like this statistically uh, since, you know, maybe Mike Vick, but I don't even think Mike Vick was that type of passer. Well, Mike Vick had a cannon of an arm, but I think he was a different type of player. I grew up uh, when when Randall Cunningham was playing. He was a different type of player. To me, Steve Young is a very good comparison in terms of a guy who legitimately is lethal as a runner and a passer. When I think of that dynamic and look at it through that prism, I think of Lamar Jackson and Steve Young. I, that's what I look at. And the the idea that He's only 21 games in as a starter. He's 17 and four as a starter. He's so er, it's so early in his development that he's obviously going to lean more toward the pass as he gets older because he has an incredible knack. I'll give him this: he's an incredible knack for not taking the big shot. And he's you know he's he's not a sturdy guy. You know, a lot of people coming out of college when he was coming out of Louisville thought, hey, he's too skinny. No, he's not going to be able to absorb all these blows. And I think that's right over a five, six-year period. Uh, so in this early part of his career, he's got the wiggle and he's got the elusiveness to not take those clear shots. Uh, he is going to slow down as, you know, as he gets older. So he's going to gradually have to transition to be more of a, a passer than a runner. Now, I think he'll always have those elements of run in his game, just like Mike Vick had really his entire career. But... Uh, but he will ultimately evolve even more as a passer. And in, I think the best-case scenario, frankly, I mean, look, he's a great player right now. Uh, this would be the best-case scenario, but it's not realistic to assume that a guy is going to rush at the quarterback position for 1,000 yards when he's 27, 28, 29, 30, 31 years old. That's not happening. But if you, if you remember what Randall Cunningham became in, uh, in Minnesota, uh, you know, with the right pieces around him, he was a dynamic passer, uh, I think that you could have that type of player as a passer and still have elements of this dynamic runner, you know, five, six years from now. Uh, so getting back to, you know, how or why Lamar Jackson is going to embarrass the Jets, uh, the Jets are banged up. That's part of it. You know, not having a healthy Jamal Adams or not having Jamal Adams at all. 
perhaps not having Brian Poole. We didn't touch on him, but he's still, you know, as of this taping in the concussion protocol, he's a guy who can stick his head in there and be great and run support. You know, not having those guys, maybe even Quinn Williams as well, uh, I think that'll hurt the Jets, even if those guys were in. Uh, again, this is a, a rush offense that gets 200 yards a game, so it would have been tough sledding regardless. But the idea of preparing for Lamar, this Lamar Jackson at this point of his career uh, in such a compressed amount of time, it'd be challenging in a full week. But the idea that the Jets have to have this quick turnaround, they're not even having practices, Scott, this week. They had three walkthroughs. It's hard enough to simulate Lamar Jackson in a regular practice. Uh, to try to do that in a walkthrough in half the time is such an arduous task. So uh, I know the Bills did a really good job uh, in, quote-unquote, containing him. He had 40 yards rushing. That was the fewest rushing yards he had since week one when he only had six. I mean, he lit up the Dolphins through the air in that first game, but he didn't really run the ball that well. Uh, you know, So I know that they did a good job there. It was a one-possession game. Got to give the Bills a lot of credit. They had a chance to tie that game late. Uh, but they had a full week of practice. Uh, the Jets don't have that. That game was at home in Buffalo. The Jets are going to be on the road. So there's a lot of different elements at play. I know Lamar is dealing with a thigh quad issue, but I, I don't think you're going to really see any kind of tangible difference on the field on Thursday night. Uh, I, you know, I don't see how they can win the game. I'm not saying they can't win the game. I'm just saying I would be surprised. And you know, I, I anything can happen in the NFL. Uh, I don't know if this 14 point line is, you know going to come to fruition. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Jets just get blown out. But I think the Jets you know, could keep it within the two touchdowns. I just don't think that they're going to have control of this game, uh, partly because of you know this great offense that they have built around Lamar Jackson with the right pieces, the right running backs, the right tight ends, right receivers, but also because uh, you know Wick Martindale, their defensive coordinator, has really done a good job. No C.J. Mosley this year, but this defense is a, you know, about five steps above what the Jets have seen in recent weeks. Remember, tonight's game is a nationally televised game in Baltimore, and you can still be a part of it. Still time to get yourself tickets for the game. It's not that far of a drive. Baltimore is only a couple of hours away. So if you still want to go, download the Vivid Seats mobile app right now. Enter the promo code OVERTIME when you make your very first purchase, and you'll get yourself up to 100 bucks off on tickets for tonight's game. Or... If you don't want to go to tonight's game, you can use that promo code for something else. Maybe you want to go to a basketball game, a hockey game, a wrestling match, a boxing match, a concert. Whatever it is you want to do, you can use that promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. You can even use that promo code to get a Christmas present for somebody that you're shopping for this holiday season. Don't worry. We won't tell them that you use the promo code to get their Christmas present. It'll be our little secret. Just go right now to the Vivid Seats mobile app, download it, and enter the promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase today. Manish, getting back to this matchup, aside from Lamar Jackson, what do you think are some of the keys to the game for the Jets? I know that a lot of people think, like you said, that they might be able to compete but probably can't win. But if they are going to keep it close or even perhaps overtake the Ravens, what do you think needs to happen here? Well, they can't let uh, Baltimore do what they have done for three months, which is control the clock. You control the clock, in all likelihood, you control the pace of the game. They, I mean, they are number one in the, in, the off, in the NFL in time of possession. They, they hold the ball for 34 and a half minutes. That means that, on average, they have a nine-minute time of possession advantage over the opponent. That is, is remarkable, on average. They're, they're going to win the time of possession battle nine, 
nine minutes over the opponent, which means fewer plays for your offense. Uh, that means that when Sam Darnold is on the field, they've got to do a much better job on third down. They can't go three and out. They got to stay on the field so they keep the Raven defense on the field, and and they have more opportunities. We have seen this Jet offense get more plays in recent weeks, but they're still at the very you know bottom three, bottom five in plays per game. Uh, that has to change. They, you know, they 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 can't lose the turnover, uh, the, the time of possession battle by nine minutes. If that happens, they will not win the game. And that means converting on third down when Darnold's on the field, and that means stopping Lamar Jackson uh, on third down when the Ravens are on the field, and the Ravens are great on third down. So uh, it sounds simple, but uh, one of the reasons, and again, it's it's all everything's intertwined because they're so good uh, running the ball at the 200 yards on the ground. Because of all of that, they control the clock. And when they control the clock, they control the pace of the game. They control, they essentially control the game. And uh, and the best way to do that is to get them off the field. So uh, Jets third down defense, Jets third down offense uh, have to be uh, much better than they have on average this season. Manish, any other news and notes that we missed? Uh, let me think. we got three games left. Uh, a much it's it's a look it's a it's a difficult stretch you know, we, you know I know we typically talk about Sam a lot on this podcast but this is a, a good challenge for Sam Darnold uh, over the final you know three games uh, re, you know three really good defenses the Ravens and the Steelers are a very formidable bunch uh, frankly the Steelers are still in the playoff hunt because of their defense and then everybody knows that the you know the, that Buffalo is really good uh, I'll be curious to see if Buffalo has anything to actually play for in that last game they might have their playoff seating locked in, you know, it's TBD, or they might be playing for the division. So, I mean, we don't know exactly what kind of personnel we're going to see in Buffalo uh, on defense, but it's a good test for Darnold. He has played well outside of the Cincinnati game over the past month or so against, you know, marginal to poor defenses. Uh, it's a step up with Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Buffalo. If he can play at a very similar level, that'll be very encouraging Uh Getting going into his third season because again, yes, meaningful, meaningless games uh, in terms of playoff hunt, but you do want to see Darnold continue to develop, to continue to grow. Uh, maybe that's an oversimplification, but let's be honest: if you're a Jet fan and you're watching these games, you're watching to see what you get out of the quarterback. And these are good tests. These are really good tests against some really good defenses. And uh, I'm curious to see if he continues taking steps forward, even if they're incre- incremental steps. Doesn't necessarily have to take giant leaps and bounds over these last three games, but if he's trending in the right direction against these three defenses to end the season, that would be encouraging. Manish, I think I know you well enough to know that you've got plenty of things cooking over at the Daily News. In addition to this Jets Ravens game, I'm sure there's stuff that you're working on that you're getting ready to unleash. So, in addition to all the Jets Ravens coverage that everybody's going to be able to find after the game later today. Why don't you go ahead and let us know what you're planning on putting out over at the Daily News? Well, there's no practice or, or access over the weekend, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably actually going to take the foot off the gas for a couple days to get some Christmas shopping done. I also, you know, Scott, we we've talked about quote unquote meaningless games, uh, you know, over the rest of the season. They might be meaningless for the Jets. However, I am in three fantasy football leagues, three semifinals, very meaningful games for me. So I want to be glued to TV to try to try to, you know, get into three different finals because I was in three championship games 
Last year, in my three leagues, I lost all three of them. So there's a little bit of vindication that needs to be had. And so these are very important games for me. Maybe not for the Jets, but for me, it's a pivotal week. And then next week, uh, I don't want to get into too many details, but I think you might see a surprise or two. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. This is a fun one because we combine midweek with Manish with the pregame report. So looking forward to seeing the Jets and Ravens later tonight. Go ahead and read Manish's stuff over at the Daily News to get yourself ready. And then read the postgame coverage too. And all the stuff that Manish was just talking about that he's going to be working on for future articles. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.